0: It's kind of bonkers, and that's not how it started. It was so hard to get customers and sales. And now, I, I mean, in the summer, in the U Pick, I don't have a place for people to park. Like, people have to circle around and wait for somebody to leave so that they can park and come pick.
1: This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Imagine just deciding you want to grow food with no farming background and just going for it. That's what our guest this week did. She and her husband decided they wanted to get out of town. They bought a small property. And then once they were there, they decided, let's farm. Mariah Shone is her name. They started farming blueberries. It was kind of a long road to get to where they are today. And now they've also added a craft distillery at the farm So they produce blueberries and they produce craft liquor as well, It's a fascinating story how they made it all happen and just kind of figured it out as they went some bumps along the road, but they got to the point now where they can sell as many blueberries as they can produce and and they're selling their craft spirits uh, like crazy as well. Their farm is called Breckenridge Blueberries. The distillery probably shouldn't distillery. It's in Everson, Washington, right here in the same county I grew up in. Uh, But folks, I'm just getting to know in the past year. My name is Dylan Honkoop. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast, documenting my journeys all over the state, including around the community I grew up in, like this week, getting to know and sharing the stories of the real people behind the food we produce and eat here in Washington. So you're a teacher and a farmer.
0: I am a teacher and a farmer. It's a little crazy.
1: But you don't teach farming.
0: No, I don't teach farming. I teach English.
1: You're an English teacher. I'm an English teacher. What does it take to be a an English teacher?
0: Oh gosh, you have to like What is a,
1: the psyche of a, an English teacher?
0: Oh, it's extremely nerdy. Like really into words and <laughs> obscure Shakespearean quotes and Yeah. Yeah.
1: What level do you teach English at? High school. Okay, high so, school English.
0: Yeah, I teach AP AP Lit. AP Lang, creative writing,
1: and how long have you been doing that? You that's you've been doing that longer than the farming thing. Yeah, right? this
0: is my fifteenth year.
1: Fifteen years teaching. Mm-hmm. So did you do that right out of college then?
0: Oh heavens, no! I I was not I was not mature enough to be a high school teacher when I was <laughs> twenty-two. So I actually uh, would I did a whole bunch of different jobs. I worked in as a paralegal. I worked in sales. I worked in marketing. Um, pretty much. Any job I could find in Whatcom County that yeah. would let me work. Yeah. And then I decided I'd better pull my pull my stuff together and go back to school and do what I actually <laughs> wanted to do. Yeah. Be
1: totally. a grown up. But, be a grown up. And that's um, when you became a teacher. Yes. Okay. Yep. So when did the farming thing come about?
0: Well, so Sean and I got married and mm-hmm. we lived in town and um town
1: being which town?
0: Bellingham. Bellingham, okay. Uh sorry. And uh yeah. He hated it. He wanted a place. He wanted property. He was kind of a county boy. So he was like, we got to get out of here. And so six months after we got married, I was student teaching and he was like, we're moving right now. (laughs) And I was like, this is great timing. Okay. And, uh, but it turned out it worked, worked out fine. We found this place and, and moved out here. And then he was like, okay, now we need to do something to make money with this land. So I was like, okay, now what great idea are you concocting, right? And so we, we just kind of were talking to people, what should we do with five acres? Um, three of it was farmable or usable. It was just pasture.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, we talked to actually a, a colleague of mine at Linden High School, John Clark, and uh, who, who you probably know in the yeah. berry, berry farming world. Yeah. And John said, if I were your age, I'd plant blueberries. And, um, so we kind of said, okay, I guess that could be a good idea and, uh, started the process of researching how to become a farmer.
1: So what did your age have to do with it? Why, why did your age determine that blueberries was a good fit?
0: I, you know, I actually, now that you ask that, I don't know, I, I guess because they take 10 years before you're going to see much Mm. profit out of them. Probably that's Um, a long time. That's a long time. Yeah, it is a long time. And, and also, I guess he also said, you can do a lot of the work on blueberries yourself. Mm. So without having to hire a huge crews. Right. Um, and so those were kind of the reasons, I yeah. think.
1: So I guess, yeah, if you're older, maybe you wouldn't be up to all the physical work. Right, right. That it would take. Mm-hmm. So, crazy. You guys decide to just go for, like, how many acres did you put in?
0: Uh, we put in 2,800 plants. So it's just under three acres. Okay. So...
1: And what was that like at that time? Is that all you have now still? That's it's all the we same? have now. Same. So it's the, you went full boat right away. Full
0: boat right away. Uh-huh. We planted, um, well, so the way that worked is we ordered the plants. Um, we, well, I guess we did a whole bunch of land work before that, but, uh, yeah. you know, we did all the the kind of um, field work. We did put in irrigation. So Sean learned how to do all of the irrigation and, and yeah. how to install all that. And then we got the plants. And then we called all of our friends and family <laughs> and said, uh, if you want to come help us plant blueberries, uh, we'll pay you in beer and chili. That's pretty much <laughs> all we had for, <coughs> could offer for payment. And um, and we did. That's what we did. A couple of Saturdays in October and then the following spring, a couple of Saturdays. So got it all done.
1: That's not that unusual for farming payment. Probably not. Get stuff done for a case of beer or uh or a big job, maybe a couple of cases of beer. A couple of of cases of
0: beer, a couple of (laughs) bottles. Uh Yeah, we've learned that currency well in the last Uh, last few years.
1: So you're going for it. That's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And it's not cheap either to put that all in. Right. And then you just have to wait for... Several years before you really start getting Correct. any of that back? Yes. Was was there a point where you're like, what are we doing
0: here? Oh, yeah, all the time. Like pretty much <laughs> that entire 10 years until we started seeing any profit come in. Yeah. Um, it, it worked out because about three years after we planted the berries, babies started happening. So mm-hmm. there was a period there, um, as, as you know, the, the, those yeah. first five years of children e- totally. are kind of a blur, kind of blocked out. So it was probably really fortuitous timing actually that that things happened. So,
1: so then you could be busy raising kids and doing that crazy, like you said, toddler life and stuff Uh
0: and running a farm in the summer,
1: but kind of letting those blueberries grow because early on you wouldn't have had exactly because they start producing early, but earlier than 10 years, but there's not a lot.
0: We started small harvest, um, doing a little you pick, um, four years, four seasons in maybe. And mm-hmm. before that, we stripped blossoms and didn't let them produce. Um, mm-hmm. But it wasn't much. I mean, there's not much tonnage, right? So it was...
1: We, so you would actually go and pick the blossoms yeah, off? Yeah, I did. So For
0: two seasons, I stripped blossoms.
1: Why? Um, what does that do?
0: Well, it puts the energy into the roots and into the plant mm-hmm. rather than in producing fruit. Because um, when that ber- when that blueberry is producing fruit, it doesn't do anything else except make fruit. Um so we wanted them to get real real established so that was the the concept and that's what's that's what our agronomist told us to do so we did what he said <laughs> <laughs> don't ask questions just okay we'll do that
1: so then once you started producing fruit and selling it how did that work as you ramped up like you you do you pick right
0: we do you pick and we've started we started as a you pick okay. um, and you pick and we pick and then those first few seasons um, we we started the farm when we started selling to the public, we were no spray. So we were, and we were actually organic practices. Mm -hmm. Um, but we didn't think we could certify organic. So we Mm -hmm. just were kind of doing the no spray show. And, um, we, it was hard to find, I mean, growing a business, starting a farm way out here in Everson is, it takes a while to get a, get established, especially when all of East County is blueberries. Right. So, uh, that was quite a process to try to find our clientele. Um, but slowly, but surely we kind of social media and people coming out here and, um, trying to make it really super family friendly, very Mm -hmm. clean, all of that. You know, we were trying to really trying to market, um, an event or Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Destination. Yeah. This is a destination. Come here and take, bring your picnic lunch and hang out by the Creek with your kids after you pick. And, um, that, that really people really appreciated that people like that
1: so you pick obviously people come they pick it themselves and they take it home Mm -hmm. the stuff that you guys would pick the we pick stuff correct what do you what did you do with that so how do you sell that
0: when we first started that was we had a lot more fruit than we had customers so that was the challenge is how do we how do we unload our fruit and we we did a variety of different things we sold We sold some wholesale, so we sold, you know, through through produce stands, grocery stores, that sort of thing, Um, and then, and that was pretty much it. And then then everything else we sold off the place as we pick. People would order large orders, we'd pick it for them, they'd come pick it up. Um, So that's kind of how we started, just Mm -hmm. a smattering of different different outlets for our for our products. So it's different now. It's different now. So, gosh, five years ago we certified organic. Um, and the,
1: and you were saying that you didn't think
0: that we didn't think we could. Why? Um, Uh, we are right next door to a conventional blueberry farm Mm. and we were told by several people, Oh, you're way too close. They, they'd never approve your, Mm. your certification. Um, then as our, as our customer base started growing and the customers really wanted, they really wanted organic fruit and we're Mm. getting a lot of questions about our practices and, Um, I just did some research and I called the WSDA and kind of told them our situation and said, I probably can't certify, right? And they're like, "Mm, no, absolutely, you could certify. Mm. Do the paperwork and we'll inspect you and we'll go from there.
1: WSDA, the Washington State Department Department of of Ag. Ag. Mm -hmm. And so they're the ones, if you're farming in Washington, actually give you kind of the stamp of approval, you are organic.
0: Yes, there's another... Uh, there's several different organizations you can go through. I don't know them off the top of my head because I don't use yeah. them, but yeah, several ways you can get organic approval.
1: And then once you did that, did that have to change a lot on the farm to kind of... Uh,
0: it added a lot of paperwork. Mm. But as far as practices, farming practices, it changed nothing because we we right. were already doing most of the things that they want you to do for right. for organic certification. It really became just a paperwork show. So that's my part of the farming. Yeah, <clears throat> Sean does the the real work, real work, <laughs> and I do the <laughs> and I do the paperwork. So um, yeah, it's just it's documentation mostly.
1: Yeah, I was gonna ask like everybody talks about paperwork, but what is it actually? It's yeah. like proving that you did yep. all the right things. Yep,
0: that's it. It's proving that you did what you said you did. So, for example, we use an organic fertilizer. Um, they want the invoice. And they also want the delivery ticket and then wow. they want to see on your calendar when you applied it the day and mm. the application rates and that sort of thing. So it's, it's just, it's, you got to keep things. You can't, you can't farm and keep all your paperwork in a shoebox and bring it to your accountant right. once a year. You got to be on it. So, so
1: how do you, and then you have to give that to mm-hmm. the state?
0: Mm-hmm. That was really interesting this year and a pandemic mm. when I got to give them all my paperwork electronically so that was yeah.
1: scan it and send. scan it and send PDF it yeah. after yep. PDF after mm-hmm.
0: PDF hours and hours of email. Click, send, click, send.
1: So is that like once a year or like every once a month year. or once okay. a year?
0: Yep. We're inspected once a year. Um, you pay an inspection fee, they come out and they walk around your property and see if you got anything shady looking to them. And, right. uh, some years they will, they've they test your fruit, make sure that it's mm-hmm. it doesn't come back hot, is what they call it. So mm. that would be if our neighbors decided to overspray or something. Mm. Um, and other than that, it's just a paper, a lot of paperwork. Yeah. So.
1: And it's become much more of a you pick kind of thing that you do.
0: Oh yeah. So the year after we certified organic, that year, um, the next season, our um, sales doubled. Wow. So yeah. And then from there on out, and then the following year, I got rid of all my wholesale accounts because I didn't need them anymore. Um, mm. So it's all everything we sell. Every every berry that's picked here is sold off the farm, either you pick or we pick.
1: What did people say was the reason for that? Like, why, why did they like it so much that you're organic? Because I know that people have a. To- Everybody has different motivations mm-hmm. for wanting to buy organic.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, most of our customers said, and and I, we as a family kind of agreed with this sentiment that um, they didn't want a lot of chemicals and a lot of extra stuff um, on their fruit. And mm-hmm. s- Certified Organic, we spray nothing on the fruit. Um, we haven't had to. There's been nothing that we had to worry about yeah. like that. But um so people want stuff that's, that's pesticide and herbicide free. And I think in our case, people also want something local and, mm. you know, they would rather buy local organic berries than go to, go to Costco or big box Fred Myers and buy, buy organic berries there. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's, that's really, it's mostly that, um, so
1: everything you guys produce that your plants produce, mm-hmm. you guys sell right here. Correct. That's impressive.
0: Yeah. It's it's kind of bonkers. <laughs> we wouldn't but that's not what we expected. I mean that and that's not how it started. It was so hard to get yeah. customers and sales and now I I mean in the summer in the u-pick, I don't have a place for people to park. Like people have to circle around and wait for somebody to leave so that they can park and come pick. It's They love it. They love it. Yeah.
1: What do people say when they come out here to the farm and pick fruit and bring their family and all that stuff?
0: Oh gosh, you know, usually they're like, "Oh, you're so lucky you can that you live here and you have yeah. all of this," and and you know, I'm, I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely, we're super blessed." Um, until about three, four weeks into the season, and then I'm like, mm-hmm. "You want to come take over <laughs> for a couple? I'll go live at your house in Fairhaven for a little while, and you can run this show."
1: So, is that where but, a lot of people come from then to pick fruit here? Yeah, um, is Bellingham.
0: The, yeah, I would say I would say ninety ninety percent of our customers are coming out of Bellingham, Southside. Um, we do have quite a few customers out of Seattle. I've got wow. people who come every Saturday and pick pick berries out here, bring all their friends.
1: How long is your season, and when is it like?
0: Usually, so we're usually five six week season. Um, we start generally first two weeks in July, um, and then finish sometime in third week of August. Typically, um, there's been some weird years in the past. This it seems like it's getting warmer and warmer earlier and earlier. Yeah. So we've had a couple of early seasons. We started uh, two three years ago. We started um, June twenty six, wow. and we wow. were done. July 30th. Yeah. It was crazy. crazy. Yeah. That was really bizarre.
1: So what happens when you're done with harvest? What do you do with the plants?
0: Not a lot. Um, so when we're done with harvest, we're done with you pick. Um, we generally, um, We'll strip pick if there's anything left because there's a little bit of fruit left. You know, you pickers don't pick everything.
1: So you just don't want to leave? We don't want to leave it. Old fruit out there? No, we
0: don't want to leave old fruit out there. It attracts bugs and Mm. stinky, and we just don't want that. So we we will harvest everything um, that's still on the plant. And then, um, well, now we use that in the distillery. So we end up being able to use all of our, even our not so awesome fruit that way. Right.
1: And then, do you have to like prune or trellis them, or like? We, no, do we, we do winter?
0: prune. Uh, you prune in uh, when they're dormant, so typically January, February. Mm. Uh, usually, the Super Bowl is the is kind of. The, <laughs> oh shoot, we haven't pruned yet. We got to get on that. <laughs> um, and we hire a crew to come in and prune for us. The professionals are so much better than we are. Sean and I have pruned our first couple of years and nearly were divorced over it. So <laughs> we decided we just hire somebody who's good at it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I had a, a friend of mine ask me the other day about printing blueberries and like mm-hmm. I grew up around raspberries, mm-hmm. not really blueberries so much. So I didn't even know like, what do you cut off? What do you leave? How do you?
0: Oh do gosh, that? it's been a long time since I did it. I would be terrible at it if I were to try to do it now, but you're generally trying to try to open up the plant a little bit to get mm. some light and light and stuff inside the plant. Um, and I want to say that Gosh, I don't, I don't know if I want to say too much. Some of you might be listening as an expert and, <laughs> and be like, she's kind of dumb. Um, but generally taking off, they, when, when the pruners come, they take off, a lot of times they'll take off one of the big canes at the bottom and kind of force that growth into new canes. Hmm. So I think that's the basic concept is get rid of some of the old and let some of the new, new vigorous growth right. take care of it.
1: And then basically they just sit until they, they start sit. to bloom.
0: Yeah, we always say that's our kind of our favorite time to farm is there <laughs> between the end of harvest and and uh, yeah. the spring when you have to start getting out there and getting busy again. But
1: yeah, what do you do in the spring or all the stuff before, before it's um, actually ready?
0: So I mean, we fertilize. We'll fertilize a couple times. We'll after they after they prune in the in the winter we spray copper, um, mm. and that's a natural natural kind of fungicide and um, Keeps uh, bacterial bacterial disease from setting in, so we do that as a preventative. And then um, I know there's some of that in raspberries too. There is. So I that think. Rings I, a bell. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the same Using copper. Yeah, I use copper. And then um, in when it gets closer to springtime, we start to treat for mummy um, berry, which is a big scary mm. blueberry um, disease. It's a fungus, um, and we treat it mechanically, which is one of the ways you can treat it in organic. Farming, and uh, so we actually go up every single row, the but uh, at the corner of the or the edge of the weed barrier, and um, we weed eat along every single um, edge of the weed barrier, and then mm. um, that kills or that destroys the little fungus that are growing. It's like a little tiny mushroom that grows, and it, mm. you, you got about a week window on mummy berries, so it's kind of it's it's a little weird. We start going out inspecting for that. So you actually days.
1: see it growing and then you have yeah. to go knock it out. Yeah. So it's like a fungus that's in the soil, but then we'll it's end a, up in the berries. Yes.
0: Yeah, so in the spring, so that little, this little fungus, it's, it, it's an infected berry rolls down the tarp or rolls, you know, gets yeah. stuck there in the grass beneath the, beneath the plant. And in the spring, it sprouts a tiny mushroom. Like they're, oh. they're not even a half inch tall. Wow. And um, then you've got about a week and that mushroom will will bloom or whatever it is when, I don't know what you call it, when a fungus lets loose its spores. Right. But so it releases spores and it will infect um, both the, the leaves. It infects the leaves first. And then from the leaves, it infects the uh, buds. And then that's how the fruit, gets infected with it.
1: So, so it's not like the fruit gets infected once it's ripe and no. turns moldy. It's, it's infected been infected from, from the get-go. From the get-go.
0: Mm-hmm. Crazy. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of scary because you could lose an entire crop if you don't take care of it. So we're on that one. Awesome. <laughs> yeah,
1: I can see a pretty significant motivation yeah. to be on yeah, that one. for sure. If, you, if it's your whole crop. Yes. Kind of riding on that.
0: Yeah. So... Yeah, so that's what we do in the spring and then um start you know, once once it's mowing season, Sean mows for about eight hours a week on out in the field and like the
1: grass between the rows. The grass
0: between the rows Mm -hmm. and the headlands.
1: Why -hmm. does that need to be mowed?
0: So it looks nice mostly. (laughs) Um a, a lot of it's aesthetic yeah um and then also if you let it get too tall the weeds grow and then that causes more weeds and it's just a pain so he he just keeps it he weeds weak or he mows weekly
1: i also wonder about bugs too Mm because if you've got huge bushy grass grass and weeds like a
0: a bug habitat yeah try to reduce those (laughs) yeah
1: go live elsewhere you bugs
0: yes get out of here
1: (laughs) (laughs) and so that's the whole cycle and then it's time for harvest
0: yeah and then you just get yeah tuned up for harvest and go
1: so you mentioned the distillery and that being mm-hmm. kind of an outlet for some of your kind of juice berries, which sure. I think uh-huh. people who know fruit markets it's know like that the, that's a thing. The juice stuff is the berries that maybe got a little bit overripe, mm-hmm. a little bit mushy mm-hmm. or whatever. They aren't mm-hmm. great to like pick and take home, right. but they yep. make awesome sweet juice. Yep. So then if we're going to talk about the distillery, we've got a... We've got to roll back a little bit. That's right. When did that idea come up? How did that get
0: Well, so the distillery really did be, come because of the farm. Like it really mm. was what inspired the distillery. Um, and it, back in those years when I couldn't get rid of my fruit and I'm selling, you know, hundreds of pounds to CSA or to a grocery store and I'm packaging and throwing away tons of fruit, you know, I was, I was composting hundreds of pounds of berries that I couldn't sell. And yeah. I'm like, oh man, would there got to be something we could do with that. And, um, at the same time, Sean, his, his, uh, background is in, is in, um, heavy equipment mechanicing that's, he's been a heavy, he's been wrenching since he was 18, mm. actually so probably since he was about 12, but officially. <laughs> yeah. And, um, he, uh, had, he was working at Clark's, uh, as their mechanic and, um, you know, so for he, John Clark, for John Clark, far- the farmer, farmer yes, I know things before. all come for yeah. a full circle here. Right. <laughs> um, and he he'd been working for John, and he'd been in the he'd been working mechanicing all his life, and he was honestly getting kind of tired of it. You know, yeah. he's like, I need a change. And,
1: and if we're gonna, I'm sorry to jump in here. No. but if we're gonna mention John Clark, he's also a Linden school teacher. He
0: also is yes. He t- taught with Back me at Lyndon. Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. He's, he's retired
1: from teaching now, right? He is right? retired from yeah.
0: teaching. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Probably you're, trying to retire from farming you're, as well. you are just
1: trying to carry on his thing. I'm being, carrying on being John's a, legacy, a, a I
0: suppose. Teacher
1: and a berry farmer. But there's
0: actually a few of us. Lad Shumway is yeah. also a teacher and a berry farmer. So <laughs> we're all a little crazy, I think. Yeah, I think so. Uh huh.
1: But I wasn't going to say that out uh, loud. Well. well, anybody who's met us would probably agree. <laughs> so. <laughs> um,
0: anyway, so anyway, so Sean is
1: getting sick of, of doing the whole yeah. mechanicking thing. One, right.
0: Do Do something different, different. you know, and, but, you know, and he, but he always said, he's like, well, I never went to college, so I I don't feel like I have any options, you Mm. know, it's kind of a blue collar, blue collar thing. Um, So anyway, so he was kind of looking for something. I was, we were trying to think of something to do with the berries. In the meantime, my dad, who is kind of a winemaker, he dabbles in making his own Mm. wine, um, had, had somehow wanted to do something with a batch of bad wine he had, and he'd found someone to distill it for him. And so he was like, Sean, you want to come check it out with me? And so he and he and Sean went, I don't know where, some place probably pretty sketchy, and checked out this little <laughs> distilled, distillery thing and um, little kind of a moonshine operation it mm-hmm. sounded like.
1: Because it used to not be legal in the well, state to distill, right?
0: Right. Well, it's been... It's been legal for a while, but craft distillers like we are have only been since 2006, uh, maybe. Okay. 06, 08. I can't remember. They yeah. changed the the law. That's also when they um, took the state liquor stores away and then went into grocery. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, so Sean had gone and he'd seen this operation of this of distillation and he was like, that's all there is to it? <laughs> um, and I can do this. I, yeah. And that's it. He's like, I think I could do that. So he... Got online and bought a still and started messing around with it and and then it was really just kind of a hobby. Like, could I do this? And right. um, he made a lot of not very good booze that <laughs> killed a lot of blackberries. That uh, was the best use for that early stuff he was making. Yeah. Um, but then um, the more he kind of did it, he was like, "I this is this is kind of cool." And he started researching it. And then we said. He said, if we could do this at our house, if we could do this at the farm, I would, I would let, I want to do it. Let's do it. Hmm. So we started the process. um, Gosh, that would have been, we opened in 2017. We started the process in probably, probably
1: 2012.
0: Wow. So five years years. of working at it. Yeah. And it took us a full three years to do the paperwork through for the county.
1: So for the building or like what was the.
0: The, well, Challenge the there. county just didn't want us to do it. the The chief building inspector, he when we went and sat down with him, uh, he laughed at us and he said, um, "Do you have a Do you have a million dollars? I don't see how you're going to do this without a million dollars." And we said, "Why did you need no, a million dollars I don't, for it?" I don't know. That's what he said, and we're like, "No, we're gonna." Try to do it on the cheap, and yeah. we're going to build all the stuff ourselves, and we had this plan, and and he was like, "Well, I don't know the codes for that," so
1: because it was a because well, there a weren't distillery. any others in the county.
0: Yeah, he doesn't know the codes for for the for a distillery, and well, uh, it's
1: just another like food processing facility, though, right? Yeah, a little bit more to a little
0: bit more to it than that, but. But yeah, I mean, virtually he basically said, I don't know the codes and I don't really want to learn them. So I'm going to take the most restrictive codes. So we're going to treat your operation like a fuel refinery. And that's the codes that I'm going to apply to your operation.
1: A fuel refinery. Mm -hmm. Because you're like heating stuff
0: and getting alcohol. Correct. Out of it. Mm -hmm. Because alcohol vapor can be explosive, which is, it is flammable. It can be, but it that he, it was yeah crazy it was really crazy.
1: So are you still operating under those rules, or did you nope. get past it? You get something figured out.
0: We did get something figured out. So two two things happened. One, I learned the fire codes, and then went back and emailed him and said, "No, actually, this code would apply because of this, and this code would apply because of that." And then the at the same time, the fire marshal, because that's he's another one who you have to get approval from. Mm-hmm. He knew about our case because we've been in there so many times. Hmm. And um, he came into the building inspector and said, these guys are fine, in my opinion. So would you let him keep going? You know, like, and, mm-hmm. and that's a big deal to get through the fire, the fire department right. part of things. And then we also met a consultant, an HVAC consultant who was in there and just overheard. He'd been in there like and saw Sean so many times. He's like, what are you trying to do? And uh, so Sean told him the story and he's like, I, I want to help you. Let me help you. I'll go, I'll start going to your meetings with you. Really? Yep. Just
1: out of the goodness of his just heart. out of the
0: goodness of his heart. Yep. He was like I'm really fascinated by this. I just want to I just want to learn about what you're doing and um because we're the we're the only we're the second distillery in the county. Bellwood opened and then we're the we're, mm-hmm. the, we're the only other one in the county. The other there's another one in Bellingham, but so yeah, so that's kinda what started it. He and, kinda and helped it, us out. And, yeah. What
1: did he do once he was he, like what um, difference did it make? Once did he He knew some stuff we
0: didn't know. So mm. you know, he there there was issue with air exchanges in the in the building and some other like building related things that he basically was like, Here you go, that's what you should do. Or he just gave us advice and we took his advice and then they signed us off on the I suppose um, if
1: he's an HVAC guy, he would, know he would know. about that air stuff. Yes,
0: that was that was the deal.
1: So, but crazy if you have the good idea, mm-hmm. you have the will to do it. You want to yep. invest. Yep. You're farming. You want to right. produce food. You want to use some of your farm product to to make a value added a value added product. As they say. Mm-hmm. Yet you kind of have to know, and if you don't do that ad- for you, yeah, or that's crazy you have to, to me. or you
0: have to be rich. Because if you had lots and lots of money, you'd hire a consultant to just go in and do it all for you. But we didn't have that luxury. So all
1: these rules end up giving the upper hand to the wealthy who decide oh, they want to do hobby stuff. 100%. You
0: rather know, than
1: people who actually want to produce right. food. and drink. You know, and
0: Sean and I are both working full-time, right, raising a family, running a farm, and, you know, trying to open this distillery. And then they... You know, and learning the, you know, international fire code because the building inspector doesn't want to deal with it. Oh, man. So, yeah. So this was a really crazy journey. It, did, it took us three years to get through the paperwork. Um, the feds was actually the easiest to get through. If you get approved by the Oh, yeah. You get approved by too. the federal government. You get approved by the Washington state government, by the Liquor Control Board. And then you get approved by your county.
1: What did the feds want to know
0: like oh what's my goodness the, what's that their thing? That it's that's a crazy application process. Is it
1: because again the, the alcohol stuff?
0: Yeah. So you're dealing with the the TTB, the Tax and Trade Bureau. Used to be the ATF, Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, same yeah. thing. So they um get really in your business about making alcohol and the reason is is because it's federally taxed. So I pay we pay a federal excise tax on every gallon we gallon we um m- well, I was going to say produce, but it's not. It's every gallon you sell or give away or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so they get in your business pretty pretty deep. Like we had to we had to supply three character references of people who weren't related to us. We they did a background check. Um, you have to list every speeding ticket, parking fine, anything, any kind of violation you've ever had on your record, and they check it and. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy the amount of paperwork you have to jump through to, to get approved. And then the, the actual building site, the site is approved. Um, you've got to send in all sorts of, we had to send in a whole property, a whole huge thing about how our, the layout of our property and hmm. all that stuff. So,
1: Well, at least all of this time, you said five years, mm-hmm. gave... Sean a chance to be Get working, better at making, working making, at his recipes, it, exactly. right? Exactly.
0: Yeah. It was probably, probably very, uh, a very fortunate thing that it took us that long, but cause it does, it give, gave him a lot of time to, to learn stuff.
1: So yeah. Talk about what you guys produce what and what was the first thing and what, cause you have multiple. So,
0: right. We have six products. Um, we have six products that we produce now. Um, we started with brandies. Brandy is mm. a fruit, uh, any spirit distilled from fruit. Um, that felt appropriate because we have a berry farm, right? So our first three products were, um, and then we also decided to go with apple brandy, um, Mm. since it's such a Washington state, um, product, we really wanted to go like hyper local, um, and uh, be as local as possible with all of our, all of our, um, ingredients because we want to support farmers that are like us, right? I mean, Big guys, I don't know. Big rich guys, they can. It, it, they have all sorts of options, but but little local folks, it's yep. nice to support them. Um, so we started with an apple brandy. We do a barrel aged apple brandy. We did a blueberry a blueberry brandy, blueberry infused. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just, just flavored with flavored and sweetened with fruit only.
1: So it's not like the original alcohol that was distilled. No, that was still made from apples. It was still made from apples, but then, but then we, add the we add the blueberries after.
0: Um, and the reason for that is if you distill straight blueberries, um, you would make something called an eau de vie, which is a blueberry brandy. And um, it would take, what did we figure, like 20 pounds of fruit to make one bottle of brandy. So wow. your cost of goods on that is so high, yeah. you would never sell. You could never sell yeah. it. I mean, it, you're it'd be stupid expensive. Yeah. So
1: here's a three hundred dollar bottle yeah, of yeah. I mean that, brandy. that's pretty
0: much what it would be, and um, yeah. So we'll Crazy. see. One day we may make that because we um we'll make it out of our own fruit, right. but kind of right. have to uh, see how that goes first. Yeah. Um, if anybody would even buy it, I don't know. And then, um, our third product that we made was a blueberry pie liqueur. And Mm. so that one is, is, um, sweetened with brown sugar. It's got real blueberries, cinnamon, uh, vanilla bean, all sorts of good stuff. So
1: weird, you're talking about a drink, Mm -hmm. but you're making me hungry.
0: I know, right? It goes (laughs) together. Sounds so
1: good. Sounds like dessert in a bottle.
0: (laughs) It is dessert in a bottle for sure. So those were our first three products and we started with those and, um, kind of learned the business, learned how to uh, yet again, you know, we didn't know anything about farming and started farming and then how we, now we're doing the booze biz and trying to learn that business as well. But, um, and then about a year after that, we decided to add a couple products, um, because we were getting a lot of people asking for, oh, do you do a a gin or do you do a whiskey? And um, initially we were like, nah, we don't really want to, you know, that's too, I guess, common or too pot. We wanted to do something a little more unique, but then after a while it's like, well, that is what people drink. So nobody knows what apple brandy is or blueberry, you know, nobody really knows those products. So let's do it. So then we we, um, started making a single malt whiskey uh, if you were in Scotland, it'd be Scotch, but here you call it American single malt. Yeah, and uh, we did a raspberry infused brandy because we figured we got the blueberry, let's do raspberry. Then you got Whatcom yep. County berries kind of covered. Yeah, and uh, we do a gin, an Old Tom style gin. So, um, well, Old Tom, what does that mean? So Old Tom is a is a pre-prohibition um, mm-hmm. recipe. It is actually was way more common than the dry gins before the prohibition. Um, but what happened was it disappeared. Like the distilleries who were making it in those 14 years, we, there was no, mm-hmm. no legal alcohol made. Um, those businesses went out of business and people, and then when Prohibition was over, the London dry gins started coming in yeah. and replacing them. So um, Old Tom style is less juniper forward. It's not quite as piney mm-hmm. and um, a little sweeter. So, and ours is very, very botanical. We got lots of, lots of different botanicals. So it's very, um, very kind of floral and citrusy. How do you get
1: going on figuring out how to make
0: something? That like is that? a really good question. I, I
1: would have no idea where to start.
0: Right? Well, I mean, we, we did a lot of drinking of a lot of different products <laughs> for a long time going, what, okay, does what this taste like? Or what is this? Um, and then, I, I mean, that's really it. You just, you know, kind of do, do different, do research Google it. Uh, Google's pretty, pretty amazing. The stuff you can find on there. So we, for like, for example, for our gin, we just Googled another gin company that we liked their old Tom gin and snooped around until we kind of found their kind of their recipe and Mm -hmm. started messing around with it. You call your friends who have a good like chef's palate too. And that helps like come over and what what do you think (laughs) this one or this one taste it? What do you think? So a lot of, a lot of that.
1: And then trial or error.
0: Trial and error. Try it. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, you're out a bunch of a bunch of grain bill or a, whatever your ingredients were.
1: So how's that been going? What's it been like? And, and what's it like running the blueberry farm at the same time?
0: Um, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting that the distillery really um, has become more of Sean's thing as far as the day-to-day operations. And, you know, I mean, he quit his job wrenching in 2017 and hasn't had to get his tools back out. So it's going okay. You know, it's going well. It's any new business. Um, you grow it slowly. Um, and, but I feel like it's, it's starting to pick up and we're getting, we're getting our brand out a little bit. Mm. People are more and more aware of where I probably shouldn't shirt and people are like, Oh, I know that place. And so that's, that's pretty cool to see.
1: Yeah. Where'd the name come from?
0: Oh gosh. Well, you know, you, you probably shouldn't uh, try to farm when you don't know what you're doing and you probably shouldn't quit your job and open a distillery. And I mean, you probably shouldn't have that last drink either, but you generally do. And, um, so, you know, it was kind of an inside joke that then yeah. I was like, let's do it. In fact, that was a f- one of the first things we came up with is that we were like, that should be the name of a distillery. That's hilarious. So and we did, just it. did it and we just did it. Yeah.
1: Probably probably shouldn't.
0: shouldn't. Uh huh.
1: And now probably should I'm seeing around or definitely should yeah definitely I'm seeing should on that bucket over there uh-huh a little in hand the sanitizer COVID yeah. <laughs> yes You in guys the, in did the a world of pivot this year
0: yeah oh yeah a, a big pivot this year <laughs> we get to we got to learn a whole other a whole other industry real quick
1: um, yeah how did that go down I remember I was here I know I isn't stopped that crazy? by and saw the place for the first time this was like right in the early days of covid before things really it, shut down the first we were week all of march of wasn't it like, that you were here yeah was... what's gonna happen what's we're not yeah. sure and we're all trying to kind of be careful but it was before any sort of like mask rules or anything and, yeah it's crazy and then what happened
0: well so what happened is march 13th schools were shut down so i go home Everyone's I'm like, what is happening? Right. Like everyone else in the world was. Whoa, what this is so this is crazy. This is scary. And that night Sean and I sat down and said, and we were just talking about COVID and pandemic and you know, kind of sorting through all of that. And he said, Oh my God, what happens if homeless people get get infected? Like how mm. would they how would they stay? You know, he just had this random kind of thought. Right. And then at the same time, his his he had been talking to people about um, you know, you know, hand sanitizer, the liquid, the spray kind is made out of ethyl alcohol, which is what we produce. <laughs> Same thing that you drink. Right. Right. And so he had kind of been talking to people about that and he, and we said, let's make it, well, you know, let's, so he Googled it. How do you make hand sanitizer? And, um, it's pretty simple. It's ethyl alcohol, it's, um, glycerin and hydrogen peroxide. So
1: what's the, what are the other ingredients? So other that's the alcohol- it. But no, but glycerin and and hydrogen peroxide, what are those for?
0: Um, So hydrogen peroxide to, I suppose, to kill any bacteria, which I don't know the alcohol would do that. So I'm not really sure why the hydrogen peroxide. Um, And then the glycerin to make it easier on your skin. Mm. So it makes it a little bit thicker so it doesn't evaporate.
1: Is the hydrogen peroxide something that helps? Because don't they call it
0: denatured alcohol? No, that's a different thing. So the... the chemical to denature ethyl alcohol is a whole separate. I don't remember the name of that chemical.
1: And what does that do? That actually makes it so you can't drink it. Right? Makes it
0: taste super vile and nasty. That's what denatured. That's all it means. That's all it is. Just a poison to make it taste gross. Um, so we started, we were, we were like, well, you don't have to have that. It's still right. going to, the intent of it is to kill. Bacteria to kill virus to, you know, germ things. So you don't really need to denature it. That's just makes it so somebody doesn't drink it. So we decided to, we're like, let's make it and let's donate it to the Lighthouse Mission and, you know, let's get it out to people who need it and whatever. And and, um, so we were in the process of figuring out how to do that. And then the following week, the next Monday, we got an email from the TTB, from the federal agency that oversees our operation. And they said, if you have a craft distillers license because of COVID-19 and because of the, um, the shortage on the market of hand sanitizer, go ahead and make it. And we, li- they lifted all the, the regulations, um, involving the labeling requirements, mm. the pre-approval process. Cause normally if you make a new process, a new product, it takes, Six months to a year to get the Feds to approve it wow. before you can have it on the market. So obviously, in a pandemic where there's no, there's like no hand, hand sanitizer, we need sanitizer it now. So we started. We're like, okay, let's go,
1: let's do this. So how much did you make?
0: Um, I oh my gosh, I don't even know. I should know that number. Um, maybe, Are you still making it? No, we're we're done making it. Um, I think we made probably around 600 gallons. Wow. So um, and the deal was you know, we were making it, we were thinking we've got local companies who are, who are going to need it. I was worried about our schools, of course. Yeah. And so we, we wanted to make sure it got out to the lunch, the people who are providing lunches and meeting with families and stuff. Um, but then we also ended up getting a call from Amazon, um, which that's kind of crazy. And mm-hmm. they called and Sean answered his phone. Cause that's what he does is he answers his phone. And, uh, he, uh, they said, Hey, this is so-and-so from Amazon. Are you current, are you a distillery? And he said, yeah, it's yeah we are they said are you are you making hand sanitizer and Sean said yep just, uh, just sent out a truckload today which was a complete lie but he was like that's oh, Amazon well, <laughs> I'm gonna want to impress him I love it so then we get a call the next the next morning we got a call from Amazon from the regional procurement specialist and she said I need 500 gallons of hand sanitizer and can I get it in two hours and <sighs> at that time we had not made a drop yet because this is <gasps> <laughs> three days into right. researching it, so anyway, that got us moving pretty quickly. Yeah. Um. And the, the the biggest problem is our facility is so small we couldn't produce it very quickly. So we yeah. get, we got them as much as we could get them right away. Yeah. And then we had to wait for glycerin to come in, and then we, you know all yeah. these things that you're waiting on. And um. But we ended up we ended up providing them with everything they wanted over the course of about five weeks. <laughs> so and then we were done. Then Sean's like, no, nope, I'm not. I don't want to do this again. So it was a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Crazy. Yeah. yeah. A lot of work for hand sanitizer versus right. like a craft right. well, whiskey and that's what, or that something. Was, that was Sean's thing is he's yeah. like,
0: I, you know, I wish people drank this much whiskey, <laughs> though you could sell this much whiskey in a couple months. But, um, he's the, no, it, it burnt him out. He was, and our operation yeah. so small. He had to, he had to run the still twice a day, um, seven days a week. So he was working 15-hour days, seven days a week, Oof. for about 42 days. Wow! So he was ready for a break at the <laughs> end of that. I guess. But we were able to provide, and we provided a lot of local local businesses, law enforcement, you know, schools, fire departments. So it was that was kind of fun. It was cool. Mm-hmm. And we were our um, our label uh, label designer uh, who designs all of our labels for our, our products. I, she was in lockdown in Italy at the time, mm. um, and I had been emailing her about a different issue and was like, oh my goodness, I'm, we're going to do hand sanitizer. Here's what we're doing with it. And she was like, I love that so much. Please let me design the label for free and then we'll um, and I'll get you going. And she did it over a weekend for free for us. And then a local AMS label, um, AMS printing in Blaine, mm-hmm. they're like, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll print them for you. They got them done for us super quick and um, gave us a discount. And it was awesome. People were really, really cool about that.
1: How about everything else, like the actual business? <clears throat> Excuse me.
0: Oh, uh, well. During the pandemic. It's like been what? weird, right? So the rules change all the time. So every time um, Inslee gets on the gets on the news, we're watching it going, oh, God, what's it going to do to us now? Because, mm-hmm. you know, so we go from being open to you can't be open to you can do curbside pickup uh, to, you know, so all these different variables. Um yeah. And so it's just been kind of a, we've just been having to roll with it and figure it out. We, we started selling on our website so you can order bottles on our website Mm. because we have to do contact free. Um, And so that just, it's just all new and exciting all the time. Eh, No.
1: What about the blueberries? Was that
0: the blueberries this season was bonkers. It was nuts. It was Mm. busier than we've ever, ever, ever been like Mm. almost a little scary. Like there's, there's a lot of people here right now during a pandemic. <laughs> is this okay? Um, but it was really, really busy. And I think, cause people didn't have anything to do. Um, every, everyone I've talked to in the, in the business, uh, every you pick in the county was, was slammed this year yeah. is, is kind of word on the street. Cause it, it's something you could do. It's something that's pretty safe cause you're outside and you can be with your whole extended family and there's not a lot of opportunities to do that. So yeah, it was really busy.
1: Well, that's a good problem to have. I'm not complaining at all.
0: <laughs> no, no, it was a good problem to have.
1: So yeah. what? what's next? Are you guys going to add any more? Or are you going to kind of stay the size you're we're, at? And- we're
0: going to try to keep, well, so Sean has invested in a larger still. Um, so we'll be able to produce more faster. So that what that will do is it, it'll enable us to increase our footprint if we want to. Um, and I think that's really where we're at. So... With our with the distillery anyway. Um, we're we're distributing statewide to some degree or you know um, and so we just like to move kind of larger um, but we're not in any hurry. We're kind of going trying to take some breaks and yeah. occasionally talk to our children you know but <laughs> seems to be a challenge these days and um, so yeah we're just kind of taking things as they come. No big plans for new products instantly. Sean's been working on a bourbon. Um, so, but that's really the only thing that may be new in the next year so. Mm
1: -hmm. How's school been since you're still a school teacher?
0: It's not my favorite. (laughs) I could say a lot of things. It'd be very unprofessional, but (laughs) it's, it's tough. It's super tough. Um, it's the amount of technology that we've had to learn to get everything online has been insane. Um, and it's so hard to engage with kids. Mm. through a computer. right? Um, and I just, my heart is broken for so many of my students and their families and to try to get their, you know, to try to get online and teach and learn. It's just, it's just not ideal. So it's been tough, but it is what it is. I mean, we, we gotta just gotta get through it.
1: How are your kids doing with
0: it? My own children, they're good. <laughs> we um we have been fortunate enough, you know. Sean's home, so he can help them with the the school stuff. And um, we've been fortunate enough that we had um our our well, gosh, she's like our our family now. But uh, one of my employees from several years back, she's a former student. She's nannied for us, so. Nice. We had Karina move in here, and she helps the boys get online, and then she works on her school stuff as well. So we're really blessed that she was able to come help us out and do that. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Yeah, it's been really cool. So my boys are okay. They they want to go back to school, you know. They're yeah. both getting, I don't know, lazy and <laughs> <laughs> just want to play video games all day long. And But I it's probably every 12- and 9-year-old in the world, I suppose. Yeah. So it is what it is.
1: Good times. Well, yeah. thank you for sharing the story of probably shouldn't distillery for sure and Breckenridge blueberries for sure. Thank and you. Everything leading up to that. Yeah, it's really cool what you guys are doing, and I know it was kind of with you. a like sustainability mindset mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you went into all of this, right? Right.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, what can we do to make the most of what we've been given and what we have? You know, the most of our land and the most of our resources. Um, And then how can we make a good life for our our family and keep things kind of going? This is the Real
1: Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. Doesn't Mariah's story make you think, wow, maybe I could do it too. I, I know that's what I was thinking. And it was a reminder to me that sometimes you just have to keep trying. Like when she was talking about five years it took of multiple people saying, no, it wasn't possible to do the distillery that they now have. They didn't give up. And that's an important part, I think, of the the farmer psyche, and they have it. And as first generation farmers, we're just making it up as they go, figuring it out, and they've carved out their own niche, and they're becoming experts in their own right. Thank you for being here this week. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop. I grew up on a farm here in the same county as Mariah Buttonshone and her husband Sean. But like I said at the beginning, I'm just getting to know them. There's so many people with so many incredible stories all over Washington State growing amazing food and making amazing products out of the things that they grow. It's my mission with this podcast to get to know these people and share their stories with you firsthand so you can hear it straight from them and start to feel comfortable with these people producing food here in our state. Make sure to check out all the episodes on our website, realfoodrealpeople.org, and also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, and we're on Twitter at RFRP underscore podcast. Also, find us on YouTube as well, just Real Food, Real People Podcast. And feel free to email me anytime if you have feedback on the podcast, maybe some good ideas of things you'd like to hear us cover. The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Safe Family Farming, giving a voice to Washington's farm families. Find them online at safefamilyfarming.org. And by Dairy Farmers of Washington, supporting Washington dairy farmers connecting consumers to agriculture and inspiring the desire for local dairy. Find out more at wadairy.org.